Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Early Parenting Podcast. Today, I got to interview a beautiful mum who I had the chance to work with recently. Now, I wanted to bring on Caitlin for a number of reasons. So obviously, I had the chance to work on her and her son's sleep. That was awesome. But the transformation that happened for Caitlin in terms of her perception of her role of being a mum and what she needed to do for Lockie, her son, her 18-month-old, it was just incredible, the transformation. There's just so much that I wanted to share with you about Lockie and Caitlin's story. A little side note, for some reason, my microphone didn't work for this episode, so my audio isn't fabulous. So apologies for the quality of the sound. Promise it will be back to standard for the next episode. Anyway, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly, bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. Caitlin, welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast. I'm a bit excited to have you on here. Hi, Jen. I'm very, very excited to be here. Now, I'm going to let you start by introducing yourself, letting us know who you are, who you have at home. Beautiful. Well, I'm Caitlin. I've been a midwife for 10 plus years, nurse midwife, and a maternal and child health nurse. I just qualified as I had Lockie. So I've got Lachlan and he's 18 months and he's my first baby boy. First baby, yeah, first yeah, baby, yeah. Not even first baby yeah. boy. <laughs> Caitlin and I first met when we both worked as registered midwives at the Rollins Hospital in Melbourne. Shout out to all the girls there too. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to bring you onto the podcast, Caitlin, because we've worked together, but I just loved like the story and I guess the work that we did do together. And you've been so reflective and I think it's just so nice for other mums to just hear. I think that they're not alone because we all go through this same sort of stuff. But before I dive into all of that, I want you to give me a little bit of a rundown about how you found becoming a mum. What's it been like for you? It's been amazing, actually. You know, I've always wanted a baby. I was one of those girls that played with dolls from forever. And what do you want to be when you grow up? A mum. And then, you know, when I grew up and I was like, there's more to life than that. <laughs> so I waited I might a have long a career time. as well. Yeah, I might have a career as well, actually. Yeah, I might have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> and so Lockie came along when I was 34, 33, 34. And so I was really ready and, you know, worked as a midwife for a long time. And I'll be honest, I loved those newborn days. Like I loved it. I loved it. Then he turned into a toddler. (laughs) Well, really for us, it was around six months. And that's when it started to get challenging for me, which I know is a little bit different. I really enjoyed the newborn stage, but I think I did because I was really prepared. I had a lot of people around me, a lot of help, a lot of family. I was prepared for those up and down days and the feeding all night and all those sorts of things. 
And then, you know, Lockie was sleeping through really early and life was really amazing. And then from about six months onwards, not so much. And then eight months, I went back to work only two days a week. But then, you know, he was awake all through the night and feeding all through the night. And I loved my breastfeeding journey at the beginning. But then as he got older and started biting and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, feeding through night, that was tough. I love that you've actually had a bit of the reverse where a lot of, and like this is how unique all of our journey is, is for you, it was like you were prepared for what the newborn days brought and they were bliss. Like for some people, the newborn days can be really challenging. It's actually been that things have presented for you as he's gotten older and that's where the challenges have come. This is the way it is, is that we actually all will get faced with, like for some people, baby days are bliss and then they start to get a little bit older and that's when we start to get faced with challenges. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, you mentioned before that you were loving the breastfeeding, but then it started to become a bit problematic. What was going on there and what sort of spurred you to want things to be different? I reckon it was like starting solids and I look back on it all now and I think like I was so nervous to give my baby food, which feels kind of embarrassing. Uh, but you know, just all the toxins and you want him to have the right bread and no preservatives. And, and so he was really hungry, like about six to eight months. And maybe in hindsight, I wasn't giving enough food, but he was also breastfeeding all the time and then breastfeeding all through the night and then just started to get teeth. And, you know, by then we started co-sleeping, which we didn't at all for the beginning. So that was weird, but we started co-sleeping because he was feeding through the night and I was tired and I was working and he would bite when he'd finished on one side. (laughs) If that breast was empty, he'd bite. So to wake me up and turn him over to the other side. And I was like, I was waking up sometimes like, ow, you know, and I'm like, this isn't good. And you saying too, like so many mums are really anxious about starting that food journey and Mm. like you just, it's a funny thing, parenthood, because you don't know what's going to trigger you into those worries. Like you can be seemingly this person who, I don't know, like you maybe do describe yourself as an anxious person or maybe you've always thought you were this really chill person and then all of a sudden you're looking after this little human and they just change your perception of like Mm. you're working as a maternal and child health nurse too, so you're But this is why I love, because you and I are similar, I was a maternal and child health nurse too when I had Matt. And yet the advice I was able to give other mums, I couldn't take it myself. Like, no, it was so annoying. I was, I was I was, like frustrated at myself. I'm like, I did this. I studied this last year. This is not rocket science, Caitlin. Just, you know, mash up some veg, put on a spoon. Like. I just finished talking about this with someone recently. Even me as a parent now, it is far easier for me to tell other people how to do things, changes they need to make, than me to be able to take that step back and go, like, it's just when it's your own child, it's so different. And mm. it's the emotional stuff going on. And Yeah, I've loved your podcast as well, Jen, because you're very human. And I think, you know, when I read what you, you know, we're very similar. I've done the Circle of Security Parenting as well and loved it. And you know what, like I had the little poster up of the hands and was really keen to be that kind of mother and think, yeah, really did quite well in the newborn stage. And then as he got older, it's like I forgot it all until I worked with you again. Honestly, I think I'd forgotten, like I'd actually forgotten. (laughs) And recently, Caitlin and I worked together. Tell us a little bit about what happened and what was going on for you and what what you wanted to change when we were working together because, like, 
obviously some awesome things happened with Lockie's sleep, mm. but there was probably even more of a transformation that happened with you, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like I'm a different parent now and it's, it's exciting actually. And I think the challenges with Lockie now are more like learning opportunities, you know, every tantrum, I feel like we get something out of it. So it just got too much, I guess. I was starting to work three days and Lockie was in our bed every night and waking multiple times. So I wanted to, first of all, I think we did the phone call, Jen, um, yes. just, to, just to stop him from feeding all night. So that was really, really useful. Mm-hmm. But that was like the quick 45 just because I, I was in a place then where I wasn't even sure, did I want to keep co-sleeping? Did I want to keep breastfeeding? I didn't know yet. So I called Jen, that was probably when he was about 12 months and um, that was really so helpful. So I got him feeding at once at 11 and once at six, which really (laughs) isn't age appropriate. You know, he doesn't need that. And I knew that in the back of my head. So he was feeding to sleep every night. It was taking me about an hour and a half to two hours. I can't even believe I did it now for so long to get him down. And then, yeah, so that would be, you know, between seven and nine and then he'd wake again at 11 and then get in bed with us and then wake again sort of then it was creeping back to four five six so I thought all right we need a proper deep dive with Jen (laughs) this is not (laughs) not cool and I in hindsight I was so tired I think when I was just living through it I was just like yes fine you know that's what having a baby's like Mm. but um I really yeah I shouldn't have told myself that because I knew that things could be better. Anyway, so that's why I booked the deep dive with you, Jen. Yeah. And that night, so um, the first night where I decided not to feed him to sleep was my hardest night as a mum to date (laughs) because, of course, there's going to be pushback and not pushback, what's the word, like, He's, he wasn't happy about it. You it was changed, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Different. Like, mm. and this is what I say to families is like when we want to change our little kids' behaviour, just because we know things need to change. Like I love what you were saying just before with like how you tell yourself, well, this is just the way that it's supposed to be. And like it doesn't mm. happen. You know, the talk we do to ourselves is such a thing that holds us back. But, um, yeah. In every other aspect of my life, Jen, like – um, like career and everything, if it's not working, change it. Like I've always been really proactive like that. Like I don't get stuck in a job I don't like. If it's not working, change it. So why was my approach so different to parenting? Mm. Like it kind of makes me upset but happy now because it's not anymore. You know, like if it's not working for me. And, and you know, something you said to me in the very first phone call I loved, you said, um, you're the golden goose in the situation. I think it's something like that. Like if, if, like if I'm not happy, he ain't happy. And I think that's what you meant by that. That's Absolutely. the way I took it. Absolutely. I yeah. love That's something you've taken away because I remember oh. reading that once in a book myself. And sometimes I do this reminder of myself is, Jen, you're the golden goose. And before we've actually started recording, I was talking about, you know, like I probably need to look after myself a little bit more at the moment because mm. look, we are the golden goose. Mm. We matter so much. We're not mm. looking after ourselves. And how are we looking after our little baby geese? Yeah. <laughs> but that's right. I'm glad that that was something that, you know, like oh, that yeah. resonated with you. So I've got to make it work for me. And I, I was doing so much to make it work for Lockie and that's not making it work for Lockie. That's not making him think he's got a strong, reliable, 
kind caregiver that's like, who's this mum that's kind of flopping all over the place? She don't know what she wants. (laughs) We don't realise the impact that sleep deprivation has on us. Like, Mm. I mean, on one hand, you can identify that you you don't feel great. You want things to be different. But, like, you know, you had that self-talk where you say, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. And and then it stops you from being able, like, maybe you could identify that things need to be different. But when you're just in this fog of A's, you sure as hell haven't got clarity of mind to even know what steps to take. I think that's why it took so long because, yeah, you're just in the fog going, oh, you know, you're just trucking on one day to the next, one day to the next, and that's not a way to live. I've never lived like that, so I'm really glad we're not living like that anymore, to be honest. But tell me a little bit about that first night. That was tough. It wasn't all roses and dandelions along the journey. No. But from that first night to where you guys are now, what transformation happened? It's actually so good to talk about it because we've come such a long way and it's so lovely, but it wasn't like, I I even remember, like I did the deep dive consult where I got the two week support. And I even remember at the end of the two weeks, I'm like, wow, we're still not there, you know, like, and he's 18 months by the time I started working with you. So, and I don't know if this is true, Jen, but I heard someone say that a lot of sleep consultants won't even work with you at that age. (laughs) She's like, true. I love toddler, like I love working with toddlers because like I feel it's challenging because depending on what's been happening ahead of time, you know, it means that, you know, for Lockie, for the first 18 months of his life, he was being breastfed. So it's Mm. just about him having that time. I think I remember us, you know, during the two weeks of support, you said at the start, you're like, I don't think I can do this. Like you were, mm. you know, really, it was hard in that mm. part of change. I think I reckon that when we got to those end of the two weeks, it was, this is still going to be a trend. Like he's got a, and we were saying before you were recording is he had no idea how to settle himself at all other mm. than having that, the breast. If anyone listens to this podcast, if anyone follows me on Instagram, like everyone knows that my philosophy is nothing is a problem unless it's a problem for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And obviously for you, you had identified that you'd gotten to that point that this was no longer working, hence why we started working together. You know, and this is part of the chat that I do with families is that when there is going to be something different, like they, you still have to allow them to learn with your support new ways Mm. of being able to fall asleep and things like Mm. that. And that's the real thing, isn't it, Jen, with your support, which is what I loved about it. Like I'm still there supporting him, but it's hard you know, life's hard. That's, I just felt like it was a real life lesson for him. And for me, I'm not always going to be able to keep my baby happy. And it's not my job to keep my baby happy. And that was really freeing for me because I'd been doing crazy things to keep my baby happy. And that's not life, you know, like, so yeah, it was a really good initiation into that, I guess. Mm. And I was so surprised some of the things I'd been doing to stop him crying when I realised crying's a good thing. Crying's a great emotional release. And as long as I'm there helping him, like not necessarily doing lots of things, just sitting there going, um, it's all right, mate, mum's here. This is tough, isn't it? But you're going to be okay because mum's here. Yeah, that first night, because that went on for two hours. Yeah. And Stuart, <laughs> you know, it was just, he was 100% supportive of me, 100%. And he offered to do some of the settles like later on down, you know, the next day and the day after. But it was really tough that bad. So I come out of the room like and burst into tears myself. Like I'd held it together the whole time I was in there with Lockie. And he did fall asleep without the breast in his cot. 
Oh, actually, no, it wasn't in his cot first. I held him for a while, then it was in the cot. But, um, yeah, he fell asleep without the breast. And then the next night we did the same thing for an hour. And I think really quickly we jumped into the cot because he was sort of fighting me. He didn't want the cuddle. And um, I thought that was because he was angry at me, but it's just because he's angry at the situation. So sitting him in his cot, yeah, we did that pretty quickly. And then by the time we'd finished working together, he was going down and I would leave the room and sort of come back. We were doing a bit of that. And now I put him down at seven and he goes to sleep. We don't even have, you know, we have it. And look, I love the good night now because I never got a good night kiss when I was feeding him to sleep. Yeah. Now I get a good night kiss. You know, we close the curtains and we say good night, Bilbo, which is his little teddy. And it's the cutest thing in the whole wide world. So I love sleep now. Like, and I think I used to get really anxious leading up to bedtime. And obviously he feeds off all that. And now it's like, oh, I can't wait to watch him getting his little cot. It's so true. And you know what I love about that, Caitlin, is like I think there's this perception that once you have a baby or a toddler that is self-settling, that those beautiful moments get taken away, Mm. but they don't get taken away. They get replaced with new beautiful moments. My boys have always had this lovely routine where, and like I've only just stopped doing it with Ted who's three, but we would always sing the song and like that was just this beautiful cuddle like, I think it's just this misconception of what achieving independent sleep needs to look like Mm, mm. and that you don't get that it's, yeah, and I know that the world of sleep consulting and things like that is this perception cried out. And, like, sadly, there are actually consultants. I've learned this recently. There still are consultants who are doing that, which blows my little mind. But, look, it is what it is. But certainly, as you know, working with me, it's definitely not about that. But Mm. it is just, I think, like I say to families, it's, it's, you do have to do things differently. And I'm not saying Mm. that you won't. I never promise like non-cried, like not cried out. Mm. Five free approaches because as you know, with the circle of security and everything, crying is good. What have you actually noticed with Lockie since you've changed the way you support his crying? So that he cries less yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell, like it's a crazy. Nutshell, yeah. Lucky loves his bath. And when he gets out of the bath, always tears, always, you know, I keep him warm and da da da. Like early newborn days, actually, you know, we used to do the massage, the baby massage and it was beautiful and loved it. But since we got to this six, eight month stage, there'd always be tears. And I think he always knew bed was coming next and blah, blah. So still tears but I used to like sing I used to you know clap 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 do all these things to try and stop his crying you know sing nursery rhymes I even did the putting something on my phone and him watching it which just makes me curl my toes as an MCHN that I ever did that but anyway you know you do what you have to do like yeah so now at bath time when he gets I let him cry and be like oh we've had a big day you must be tired mate things like that and now we get out of the bath and he doesn't even cry that much anymore but I think what I realized is he needs that cry. Like it's a a bit of an emotional release at the end of the day. So we can, you know, obviously a lot of things we did, Jen, have helped with his sleep, but I think that's a big one. He doesn't have to hold all his emotions in anymore. And then my theory was they might be showing up in the night and causing him to wake. And now he doesn't have those anymore. So he's not waking everyone. Like he goes down at seven and I don't hear from him until after six, mostly I go in and wake him at seven. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. <laughs> that's like Imagine. so powerful. It is like, this is what I'm so passionate about too is, you know, we all have different parenting styles and ways of doing things. And 
this is obviously like, you know, fun circle of security training and everything. We were saying too, like, how nice is it to be heard when you're feeling like, you know, want to know one of the things I hate most. No offense if any of you guys do this that are listeners, but I'm such an emotional person. Like I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I will tell you exactly how I feel. If you say down the street, hey, how you going, Jen? It's not just good thanks. It's all oh, actually I'm feeling a little bit hard today. <laughs> People are probably like, uh, all right, Jen, I didn't. <laughs> but, like, for me, the most dismissive thing people can say is, you'll be all right, don't worry about it. I know. I and, like, know. it's well-meaning. They're trying to just, but if you're talking about the circle of security concept, they're trying to push you back to the top of the circle when I'm actually in the bottom of the circle. Now, yeah. you know, to people who probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but definitely a part of this, and I'll link into the show notes about, uh, learning about the circle of security, something that Caitlin and I both trained in. And it's definitely something I want to bring into the business, I think, to be able to educate families a little bit more on. But the whole concept is, is that, you know, our emotions are on this circle. We are on this circle going around all the time. And when we're on the top of the circle, we're usually feeling pretty good. Like, you know, they're the, usually the easier emotions. And the bottom of the circle is when you or your baby or toddler are not generally feeling good and need a bit of support. And what you were saying before, Kate, with what you're saying to Lockie is when he comes out of the bath, it's that you're not trying to make it better. You're letting mm. him release what he feels. He's on the bottom of the circle and you're not trying to push him up. You're just saying, like, yeah, you're tired mm. at the moment, aren't you, mate? It's been a big day. It's frustrating when you feel this way. Like you're naming those emotions. You're mm. just letting him feel it in a supported space. Like it's just how nice is that to be? It's so like, lovely. If someone said that to me when I'm having my whinge, and they said, oh, yeah, it can get really hard sometimes, life, can't it, Jen? And I'm like, yeah, it can. And I don't need yeah. anyone to make me feel better. I just need to feel yeah. validated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I totally hear you. It's such an important thing to teach our children. And it's so freeing as a parent that you don't need to fix it. Like, you know, you just need to be there for him. That's kind of a much easier gig. And I think that's why I'm loving it so much more because it is. It's easier. <laughs> It actually is. It's not your job to always make our babies and toddlers feel better, but they do need to feel supported, but it's mm. not what it looks like. And I think mm. a lot of parents' eyes is that we need to stop the crying. I mean, sometimes it's our job if they, you know, well, even if they've fallen over, like I'll pick the boys up and give them a cuddle and say, that really hurt, didn't it? You must feel really sad right now. And maybe I'll go get a Band-Aid because it gives them that pseudo effect of, oh, that's instantly better. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> And I read something, actually, you got me onto Janet Lanesbury and I can't remember if it was in the podcast or I got her book as well. So I've really gone deep into it because of how much I loved everything you told me. And when our toddlers or babies are crying, act like they're physically hurt the same way you'd pick them up and go, oh, that hurts, doesn't it? You know, do the same for when they're crying. And I love that. Like I just, I want it tattooed on my arm. I don't really. Yeah. But, <laughs> And look, I mean, that brings me to another point. You can't do it and you're not expected to be able to do it 100% of the time. Like I love that circle security 30% of the time is enough because I don't think any human being can show up like that every single day, every single moment. But it's, yeah, I just notice it. It's so much better when I do show up that way. It's better for Lockie and it's better for me. And I love that too. Like I know you and I have had chats about so many things that influence the way we feel day to day month to month, week to week, all of those things. And like we are, 
parents aren't supposed to be superhumans. We are allowed to feel our feels. And like sometimes I act very poorly around the boys, but my big thing is like rupture and repair. I'm like, mm. hey, Jen, that was really crap by you. Like you shouldn't have handled it like that. And when I've calmed down, because still you don't want to do it in the heat of the moment, and I will go to the boys, I'll say, hey, mummy shouldn't have yelled like that. That was a bit silly. Sometimes mummies get angry. And I just think to myself, to me, that is more important lesson to teach my children that it's okay to not be perfect, but it's actually mm. okay to try and make it better too. Yeah. And now Max at five, he'll be silly because kids are silly and they'll do stupid things. And I'm like, what the hell, mate? And he'll say to me sometimes at night, we'll be sitting in bed, he's like, mummy, I'm really sorry that I acted silly before. And look, he probably does it again the next night. He's at least apologising and saying, yeah. and when he's got someone to say, that's okay, mate. Like maybe next time we'll, you know, like. Yeah, just talk it out. Like it's lovely. It mm. Yeah, I think mm. it's so good. And mm. I, I think that's why I wanted you on here so much because like just of that, being able to have been in a place where you felt that your role was to like stop the emotion. Yeah, like you're a bad mum if your baby cries all the time. Yeah, Society really. doesn't help us with that either, do they? Because everyone looks at that kid in the supermarket that's chucking a wobbly, but you can't help but feel like, oh, my baby's bad because he's crying, Yeah, which is so not true. That's actually such a good example because how many times have you had your tantrum in toddler and you feel the judgmental eye of the universe on you like, oh, can you not control your child? And look, I mean, I always say sometimes we can't always do this lovely, you know, all right, you need to come. Oh, I know you feel yeah. Sometimes we do have to take charge, yeah. which is another circle of security reference. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I do. Society absolutely has this thing that it's like you almost need to show your competency mm. being a mum by keeping your children happy. I think that that's yes. Yeah. I do remember actually even early Mother's Day group, Lockie didn't cry in the beginning much at all. Mother's group is like that sometimes, you know, you compare your baby, oh, he doesn't cry, he's, you know, so good, but it's not a reflection of anything. You know what I mean? Like he was just a chilled out being in the beginning. I changed that somehow, but it doesn't mean that, you know, the babies that cry more are an issue, you Uh, know? It's even in that terminology, the good baby versus the, so what do you, like the ones that cry are bad? like yeah they're just like crying's communication yeah they're really good at communicating their needs they're smart you know like yeah yeah, it's really interesting Mm -hmm. and it's yeah flipped and I know that stuff you know I would never call a baby good or bad in my professional practice like Mm. um but yeah it's just so funny when when it comes to your own and what you expect and yeah Mm. what you expect versus what you get and yeah, it's just been a really good journey. Really, really, really interesting and loving learning. And, you know, that's what being a mum's all about. I guess they'll throw stuff at you. And I guess what I've really learned is just, yeah, if it's not working, fix it and get help. Like it's okay to get help. I think part of the reason I didn't get help maybe is because, you know, I'm in the profession. I should know better. I should be able to do it myself but it was so worth it. This is what I'll say. Nothing's a problem unless it's a problem. And maybe you do in your mind feel like things are starting to become a problem. But like at the end of the day, we just, we're running our own race and we get to those places when we get there. But Mm. it's lovely to see that the journey, like what it can do and where you can come from and where you Mm. can get to, I guess. 
That's the other thing, Jen. You just reminded me of Rocky as a toddler, like since now that he found sleep, finds sleep independently and quite easily, it's not a challenge for us anymore. He's becoming more independent in lots of other things, which is so cute. Like, so before we started working together, daycare drop-off was a nightmare, like screaming and clutching at me and grabbing my hair and not wanting to leave. And that was just so hard. Um, and then we talked a bit about like, you know, in the car and the way they're saying goodbye and all those sorts of things. And he's so happy at daycare now. Like, and he, he gives me a kiss and he runs off to his teacher's name's Emmy. And he's like, Emmy, Emmy, Emmy. Like, so I just feel in other domains of his life, it's given him the chance to be more independent. And I always wanted it like that circle of security as well. Like, you know, let them go out and explore the world. And I always thought I was doing that. But probably after 12 months, he just, probably because of the way he was settling and feeding, I was just his safe space so much that he, he didn't feel like he could leave it. You know, it was actually, in hindsight, that makes me just a wee bit sad, I'll be honest, because it just happened. He was obviously needing that space from me and I wasn't giving it to him. You know, I was the one that got in the way here and that was a bit, that's a bit hard. <laughs> I, I get that. It's it's a hard pill to swallow when you sort of look back and go, because the reality is, is that a lot of this does come down to us and our reaction and, you know, all of those things. I think, and so it, looking back, he was ready for this at about seven months. And I remember yeah. like feed, play, sleep, don't feed your baby to sleep, you know, and he cried. So I stopped. Oh, it doesn't work for my baby. You know, he gets upset. I think I was just so tired and just in the monotony of day to day to day that I didn't respond to his needs there. Like he was ready and I was like, oh no, he's crying. So he's not ready. But that's mum not being ready to hear him cry. That's nothing to do with his readiness to learn to settle himself. So a big, big lesson professionally and, um, you know, as, as his mum. Mm-hmm. And I hope I get the opportunity to have another baby one day and do it all again and watch their signs of readiness a bit more, you know. Oh, I know. And like, imagine what you're going to take into future babies in that understanding and even into your professional practice now of that, like a big part of the work I do with families is it's not like, it's about sleep, but it's about the understanding of crying. And let's talk about like what this looks like. And Mm. because as you said, crying, I think that if you hear it, you think, well, it's not working. Like that's a perfect, you know, but that's not happening. It's like, all right, what's this cry saying? Like what's Mm. this communication? Yeah. This this beautiful quote that I was talking about is Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. It's important to quote that because there's lots of mum guilt and this is what I'm hearing, you know, (laughs) I feel sad that this has happened. I see it as an opportunity to go, I'm grateful that this has happened because it's taught me to be where I am now. Like I look back at my newborn days with Max and I have so much guilt and regret about not like doing things right and I was so obsessed with not making a rod for my back and all of these things. And I do have regret, but then I think, well, it's a wasted emotion because it is what it is. And now Mm. I know better. So I do better. Yeah. Yeah. And you help so many other mums with your story, Jen. I really love that about you. I love listening to your podcast and I love listening to your story as well. Cause it's similar. Like, yeah, when you're in that professional space and you just think, you know what you're in for. So these kids don't know that. And our babies. (laughs) Right. And that's what I said. They'll teach us. 
let this all be a lesson to all the mamas out there listening and dads out there listening. You're talking, you're listening to two maternal and child health nurses right now and we both have experienced difficulties in our parenting journey at different aspects of, you know, and continue too. can I like, well, you always, yeah, totally. Yeah. But just so you know that even when we are trained to be in this area, we are not immune to life's challenges and children's and babies challenges. (laughs) Mm. I was literally at uni pregnant with Lockie for maternal and child health nursing. So I was just like, Oh yeah, you know, I got this. (laughs) I was the same, Caitlin. I was like, I am going to kill this gig. <laughs> I did not kill this gig. Well, I got there in the end. But like, like, and I still say, had I not had that experience, I would not be recording this podcast with you today. And It's so like, true. You know what I mean? Everything happens for a reason. I'm a bit philosophical. So like no, I love that saying and it's so true. And, well, there is that presumption that babies will sleep well after six to eight months. I always thought that. I and really... That if you do the feed play sleep thing, I think around eight months, that's a really, you know, like that's when you start to get it right. And it was so, I I got to six months and thought, yep, we're here. You know, I did, I did, I nailed it. And then that's as soon as things started to go pear shape. I feel like sleep gets more complex because you start to throw in a lot of emotions and Mm. like babies, they're absolutely hardwired for connection from birth, but there's just a level of development that happens has mm. a bit of complexity. And it's not a simple totally. play sleep. Like there's so if it was a simplest yeah. feed play sleep, babies yeah. around the world, like I wouldn't be in a job, that's for sure. Mm. And babies around the world would be schnoozing their little heads off. But yeah. <laughs> nah, it's so complex, isn't it? It's so complex. And well, you know the world. Yeah. The Bible that I went by, but Helen Stevens and she talks about the tip of the iceberg where you know, there's sleep happening and it's not working, but there's all these underlying feelings and emotions and things going on. And, yeah, I've really learnt that, I guess, that it's not yeah. not just about the sleep. And I think when I came to you, I thought, no, it is just about the sleep for me. There's no iceberg here. And then you work with Jen and you unpick your iceberg and it's just like, okay, yeah. there it is. And it was great. Like, I'm, it's so grateful, but it was really hard as well. Like, yeah. yeah, and I, I'm glad that you are honest in, and it's important for families to hear that, that you've got to be ready to do things differently and for that to feel uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. it's not about sugarcoating. Like, sometimes things, you know, it's not as tricky as you think it's going to be, mm-hmm. and then other times it's absolutely as tricky as you think it's going to be. But yeah. that's why it's so important to just get to your place of needing slash wanting change, and mm-hmm. no one can tell you when you're at that, you know, like that point Yes, um, true, isn't it? Where in the, like, I'd love to wean, I think. Well, I thought I did, but now that he's not feeding to sleep, we're just having this lovely little feed, you know. It's so easy and it's so cute. So, you know, we'll do it when I'm ready. Like, I plan on weaning. We'd love to have another baby and lots of other reasons. But, yeah, we're not there yet. We're, like, halfway there. And it's so cute, like, waking up in the morning and we sit in his little chair and watch the sun come up as he has a little feed and, they're these tiny little feeds. So I'm sure, you know, he doesn't need them nutritionally or anything. They're total emotional, but um, it's so lovely. Whereas when he was feeding to sleep, oh my God, I was just so done. I was so ready to wean because it was just, my nipples were hurting. He's too big to be sucking for hours on end. Yeah. It was really not a nice place. Actually. I didn't realize how bad it had gotten until I got out of it and got some sleep and thought, yeah, that really wasn't nice. And I wasn't enjoying breastfeeding anymore. I was just doing it because it was the only way to get him to sleep. 
it actually brings the joy back to these beautiful situations. Yes. Lovely again, instead of it being tiresome and a chore and yes. a, a, like the only way you know how. Like Yeah. And that's another thing that you, working with you, putting boundaries in place is okay. I can't remember, but I said to Jen, oh, he's falling asleep on the, like I was trying to do an, a lunchtime, like after lunch breastfeed but he would fall asleep, start falling asleep on the breast when he's not meant to do that anymore. So I was like, I might just cut it out. <laughs> and then it was awesome. I did cut it out. And I'm at work three days a week now where he's yeah. not going to get that feed. So why was I still like persisting with that? I don't even know. So yeah, now he just has that little feed in the morning, little feed at night, and he goes to bed in the middle of the day without a feed, without a problem. It's been so interesting what I think I have to do and what I want to do. And yeah, just what I want to do is fine. Just put those boundaries in place. I don't have to be sitting there uncomfortable. And in fact, it's probably better for Lockie if I'm not. I need to take charge now. I need to tell him what's what and help him with his emotions when he doesn't like that. (laughs) I find like this really presents easily in toddlerhood. Like it's always there, but I think it's easier for parents to identify, right, this crying's a tantrum or a... Like, no, you can't chase that goose across the yeah. like, obvious in like yeah. charge moments. But like take charge moments, they can start with babies, but it's just yeah. it's harder to identify when it's like, when can I set this boundary when yeah. I'm taking my baby's lead? Like, yeah, so that's pretty normal. It's so, so transparent in toddlerhood. <laughs> yeah, I love it in toddlerhood, in babies. It was interesting. I mean, because I probably you know, this cluster feeding, which is probably normal. What do you reckon, Jen, the first? I'd say two, I'd say by three months, cluster feeding settles down. Yeah. So I reckon I'll let lots of cluster food till 18 months. <laughs> Especially at night because, you know, I think he's just fighting bedtime probably and he just suck and suck and suck and suck. Like I'd be in that room, periods of time where he'd settle quickly but most of the time I'd be in there for at least an hour just letting him feed and feed and feed and feed and he used to vomit you know like I'd let because he'd had too much yeah so yeah because he was Hindsight. just using you as a pacifier like yeah with that dummy and his way to yeah. calm down and yeah it was everything yeah. and actually my midwife said to me when I was pregnant she's like it's a good idea to think of if you're going to breastfeed for nutrition or comfort and I'm like what like I just never thought of it like that. And I think she said, it's just nice to think, you know, set out with what you'll do. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of going to do both. It just became not about nutrition at all, really, the breastfeeding. It was definitely more about comfort. It was a way to, because I didn't like crying. He'd always be quiet as soon as I put the boob in. So now I'm comfortable with crying. We don't need to use my breast as a tool, which is fantastic because that was starting to get really uncomfortable. The things that you put up with because you sort of think, well, I want to do what's best for my baby, but at the expense of you actually enjoying it, it's like, mm. really? No, you don't have to mm. put yourself last. No, like, and I think that's a vicious you- cycle. If you put yourself last, like they know that. Like and yeah. he can sense when group. I'm not happy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. So to wrap up then, Caitlin, if you could give listeners, the other mums, dads, whoever's listening, one piece of advice, what would it be? I think I have to quote you on the golden goose situation. Like you are the golden goose and if it's not working for you, change it and get help. I think that all ties into self-care because if you're not looking after yourself, then you can't see what's not working. I always thought I'd be a boss at looking after my, like self-care, I had like a mini breakdown, you know, I don't know, 
somewhere in my twenties where I was, you know, drinking Bacardi breezes every weekend and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, doing all the right things, you know, like I think I had like really bad tonsillitis and an infected cold sore. And I'll Mm. say that was like my rock bottom as such. And then I learned how to look after myself, you know, yoga, meditation, eating well, walking, connecting with friends, you know, not always over 12 Bacardi breezes. So once I figured out how to look after myself and I thought that's going to be really important in motherhood, like make sure I continue to look after myself first. And then you have this beautiful baby. And again, I think I still did self-care for the first couple of months, but then I can almost see where my self-care stopped is when the the issues started to arise. And then not until I started to do a little bit more yoga again and start to do a few things for myself, did I start to go, hang on, (laughs) this isn't working and I need help. So I think other mums like totally self-care is a thing. Please put it in your diaries. Make sure you do it every week. Your baby is an excuse to stop doing it. You're really, really important. Yeah. Once you do that, if there's something that's not working for you in your mother, baby dyad or parents and child dyad, then get it fixed, get help. Mm. Speak to somebody. There's lots of help out there. And I was so lucky that I knew you, Jen, because yeah, it was just awesome. (laughs) And that's it. Like help can come in various ways like it might not be that you need sleep help maybe it's that you need help in other aspects and domains Mm. like just in your case it was i need help in working through what's going Mm. on sleep but yeah i think that's such an important message for parents is get help and self-care like and i think we're lucky well Stuart's family's overseas but they were here when Lockie was first born and four times in his first life could they you know, love him so much. Um, and my mum's really close by. So like, you know, okay, I haven't done any self-care. So it's like, mum, can you take Lockie for an afternoon? I need to look after myself. That's yeah. probably, that was it a big thing. Sort of blatant, isn't it? It's been okay with saying, I need some time. I'll say that to my husband some Sundays afternoon. I just need the afternoon to watch friends and like do nothing. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm totally caught up on all my Netflix now that I'm <laughs> sleeping. Thanks, Jen. Working mums. I'm loving yeah. it. <laughs> oh, my God. That is the funniest show. I love that show. <laughs> well, it has been absolutely amazing having you on, Caitlin. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable because it's just, it's it's so awesome for us to be able to sort of explore all of this. And, yeah, because your transformation is not even, like, sleep was awesome, right? But it was more. That's why yeah. I wanted to bring you on. It was that transformation of you as mum and that's what was so, so cool. So thank you for sharing. And we loved, loved having you on. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group, or tag me at Jen Butler Early Parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website, www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, mama.